Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 13, Surprise, Shorty! <laughs> you shocked me. Sorry, I wasn't ready. Oh my god, I am so ready to talk about this episode. We're here, we're, we ate some snacks, uh, we're brawless, we're ready to go. <laughs> I watched it three times. This is my favorite episode up till now. Like, not just for season two, in general. This is, this is such a good episode. It's amazing. I cried. Even better than Angel? Yeah, it's it's better than Angel. Uh, it's better than Prophecy Girl. Better than What's My Line Part 1 and 2. Like, this is a really good episode. Even better than the Praying Mantis episode? <laughs> well, it's very hard to top that one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. This this is a what they call a game changer. And for those of you who have been watching the show not for the first time, you knew this was coming. We all knew this was coming. <laughs> um, and for those of you who are watching for the first time, once again, spoiler free, we're not going to tell you what happens after this episode. But this is huge, not just for the season, but for the whole series. And there, there's so much to get into. So let's get right into it, Steph. Let's do How it. How does this start? Buffy is in her bedroom, tossing and turning. She turns on the nightlight and takes a drink of water, but then she decides to get up. But as she's walking down her hallway, we see Drusilla behind her. <gasps> and she's wearing all black. And I think at this point, you might be like, did she just break into Buffy's house? Is like, you know, is she going to get attacked right away? But mm -hmm. Buffy opens up one of the doors in the hallway and she's at the bronze. So we can assume that Buffy is dreaming now. Mm-hmm. And we know that when Buffy dreams, it's, it's never nothing. Well, when Buffy dreams and it shows up on our TV screen, right? <laughs> true, like true, that's true. something I noticed right away is we haven't really had a prophecy dream since Prophecy Girl. They've kind mm -hmm. of dropped that aspect of her slayer powers, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like every week she dreams a new bad guy. And minor spoiler, they continue to de-emphasize this power of Buffy's throughout the series, right? They kind of drop the dream thing. It comes back from time to time. I think Joss Whedon has a an interest in dreams. For those of you who've watched Dollhouse, you might... I think he has a lot of interest in like the, the psyche behind that. But we haven't really seen the dream power since Prophecy Girl. So immediately for the episode to open with a prophecy dream, it's telling the viewer, this is important. Pay attention. Because the last time this happened, Buffy was going up against the master. Right. Yes. So yeah. this is a signal that something important is happening. Obviously, Drusilla is involved. Mm -hmm. And it, it's that comparison of she was connected to the master because of prophecy. Buffy is dreaming of Drusilla. And it's implied throughout the episode that Drusilla has been dreaming of Buffy as well. Yeah, lots of comparisons between the two. So we'll keep our eye on that as we go. So 
Buffy is in the bronze amongst all of these dancing couples. And Willow is sitting at a table speaking French to a monkey, which is a callback to What's My Line Part 2 when Oz <laughs> said, all monkeys are French. Buffy walks by her and her mom is there uh, with a coffee cup and a plate. And Joy says, do you really think you're ready, Buffy? And then drops the plate and it smashes. And then she walks away. So Buffy's just like, okay, and walks further onto the dance floor, turns around, sees Angel, <laughs> really well lit. And Angel is walking toward her. They're walking toward each other. And that's when Drusilla comes up behind Angel and stakes him from behind. And as he's like, him and Buffy are reaching for each other. And just before their hands touch, Angel turns to dust. Drusilla looks at Buffy and says, happy birthday, Buffy. And Buffy wakes up. Cut to credits. Oh my God. Okay, so like you said, when we start off with a with a dream sequence like this, like, ooh, you know you're in for something really good. So the next morning, Angel hears a, a knock at the door of his beautiful basement loft apartment. And he's shirtless. <laughs> yeah, I and... noticed that right away. But not for the reasons you noticed, Steph. <laughs> I'm just like, because he's like, wait a minute. Yeah. But he doesn't take the minute to put a shirt on. He just opens the door. He doesn't know it's Buffy. No. Is this just his MO? Does he just always answer the door shirtless? Like, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but if I had Angel's body, if I were a male vampire <laughs> and I had his body, yeah, I'd be shirtless a lot. But it's just Buffy, so it's okay. It's it's fine. In fact, it's it's probably, you know, for the best that he answered the door <laughs> this way. And uh okay. Oh, when I watched this the first time, not you know, by the third time I knew it was coming, but the first time was such a treat because, yeah, he was shirtless, but I was like, oh, my God, I know what scene this is. And this scene is so iconic to any Buffy Angel fan out there. This is a good one. So Buffy starts telling him about her dream that Drusilla was alive and she killed him. And it felt so real to her. And Angel comforts her. You know, he's like, come in, come in. And he's putting on a shirt. <laughs> no, he's putting on a shirt while she's telling the story. And she says uh, her dreams have come true before. And Angel asks her what else she dreamed of that night. And she says, well, I dreamt that Giles and me opened an office supply warehouse in Vegas. <laughs> so Angel's like, yeah, see, exactly. Not all your dreams come true. I mean, he doesn't have proof for that. Maybe that's what happened in season three. We don't know. <laughs> we have no idea. <laughs> so Buffy brings up that they never saw Drusilla's body. And I was like, well, yeah, Buffy, wouldn't she have been dust if he, like, you wouldn't have found her body at all? But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Angel says, if she was alive, we deal. And then they start making out. Well, he kisses her and it's like, okay, that, that's right, Angel. You just, you kiss her to shut her up. You know, you use your masculine wiles to distract her from oh, yeah. her problems uh-huh uh-huh and it works it's so calculated <laughs> uh but it does work and buffy forgets all about her worries as she gets lost in his body and his <laughs> lips and they make out for like a full minute i'm not even kidding and okay this is probably the first time that we're hearing their song their their theme song mm. and it's so beautiful and so sad sounding but just so beautiful and Buffy, you know, while they're making out, Buffy dramatically is like, I have to go to school. And he's like, I know, but they keep kissing. And 
there's just so much passion here. I, and I, I'm going to talk a lot about Buffy and Angel in this episode. Obviously, there's this is what Surprise is all about. Really? Why would you? There's, <laughs> I, there's nothing to talk about here. No, you know, I mean, I finding, you know, bits and pieces here and there where we might be able to bring them up. But um, there's just so much passion. And when you add this love song on top of it, like, it's just epic. It's just such a good, good scene. Right. So a little bit of a trivia for you. Mm. That type of musical cue is called a leitmotif. Ooh. Ooh. So that's a specific piece of music written for a character, or in this case, it's for the pair of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that And it keeps coming back, right? So it's used as a, a cue to show you that there's an important scene happening for that character. And I'm completely on board, right? I, like, I'm, I'm making fun of you, but I'm not making fun of Buffy and Angel because yeah. <laughs> this is super important. That music is super important. It's going to be with us um, throughout the season uh, in interesting ways, and we'll talk about that in future episodes. But yeah, this is this is huge because up until now, they've been dancing around each other. They've mm-hmm. been kind of dating, and, and you know, they've had some physical contact right like she was taking care of him but this is like this is different from kissing in a graveyard i would say right because she's in his home it this might be the music and the lighting and stuff but it feels more intimate the importance of adding their own little theme song in here this is their own little world now like this is a thing and i think that's it's very clear when you're watching the scene that these two are in love and it's passionate and they're just ah they're just so in love so Angel asks Buffy what she wants for her birthday and she says surprise me and he says he will and Buffy says it's nice seeing him first thing in the morning and he says it's his bedtime actually and she says well I like seeing you at bedtime (laughs) yeah you do (laughs) and um, Angel you know he's like well what do you what do you mean by that and she says well the part at the end of the night when we say goodbye it's getting harder and Angel agrees. And Ugh. oh my God. And I I want to jump on what you said just a minute ago. And that, that build up to this point in their relationship has been excellent. I think this season, the writers did a really excellent job of building up this relationship to the point where now where we truly care about what happens to them. I'm invested. I think if I was an actual first watcher and I saw this episode and this scene, I would 100% be rooting for them as a couple because I think they've earned Mm -hmm. it at this point. It's episode 13 of season two. We saw them Mm -hmm. fighting at the beginning. You know, when Angel told her about his terrible past in Lie to Me, then in What's My Line, they went on that cute little skate date. Uh, I mean, it was interrupted by an assassin. But um, then she, you know, nursed him back to health and they were supporting each other emotionally. They fight evil side by side. Like, this is a unit and I believe it. And I think it's really earned. That's why watching this scene, I think, and the fact that they're now talking about sex without saying sex, because it's a show on the WB. They're not saying sex, but they're talking about it. And they basically just agree that they're ready. Like, it's getting there. I I understand what you're saying, Steph, but kissing is gross. (laughs) Kissing can be gross with the wrong person. Kissing between Buffy and Angel can be magnificent. (laughs) So, cut to school. Buffy's telling Willow, uh, who is standing this relationship so hard right now, and they're having girl talk, and you and I love 
when these girls it, have girl talk. This is really the best. This scene and then Willow with Oz later on in the scene. Oh, yeah. Honestly, this might be my favorite part of the episode. I'm just throwing out that out there. I, that might sound sacrilegious, but I love this. This might be my favorite part of the entire series so far. This this, this <laughs> first 10 minutes of this episode. Well, what they're talking about is that Buffy and Angel are probably going to have sex soon. And Willow's really into this conversation and they're having a very open dialogue about it. And I think this is so realistic. But once mm-hmm. again, they're not saying the word sex. <laughs> God forbid, mm-hmm. we know they are talking about it. And it's, it is incredibly realistic for these two teenage girls, 16, 17 years old, to be talking about this. And there's no worry in what they're talking about. They do talk a little bit about like what's right and wrong, but it's generally about excitement and being happy for her and taking this next step. Yeah, Buffy says like, what if I never feel this way again, right? And at first glance, that line seems like a silly line for that. That's such a teenage thing to say, right? Oh my mm-hmm. God, Buffy, like you're 17. You're going to love again. But that's the point is she's a teenager. This is new. This is her first big love and yeah i agree with you like the writers and the actors are portraying that in such a realistic and sensitive way because it's not trivializing the teenage romance right they're not making fun of buffy when she says what if i never feel this way again it's not melodramatic they're not mocking her they're taking this seriously and she's saying that not because they're trying to make fun of her teenage romance through her mouth She's saying that because she believes it, because she's so intensely into him. And that's, I think that's something that a lot of, you know, allosexual teenage girls can identify with. Absolutely. No, this is, this is bang on how you would feel at this age and with your first real love and you're ready to take that next step together. It's exciting and you do have a little bit of worry, but overall you're just like, well, why not carpe diem? Why not seize the day? Because hey, I'm feeling this now. And I also want to add that you and I have talked many times about how Buffy has been dealing with the fact that she died last year. And now it's kind of in the back of her mind always that that's going to happen to her again one day, maybe tomorrow, Mm -hmm. maybe five years from now. But the point is, is she's probably not going to have a very long life. So that whole, what if I never feel this way again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Has a much deeper meaning with Buffy than it would with, let's say, Willow. (gasps) I didn't even think about that. That's so good. So this is why this conversation, as small and just like girl talk as you might think it is, it's got so many amazing layers to it. And I also really think it's so interesting that as much as we're saying, you know, these girls are having an honest conversation and it's very realistic and that, you know, they're more excited than anything. Buffy does bring up sometimes want isn't always the right thing to do. To act on want Uh can be bad. And Willow agrees with this. And this is a really interesting thing to add to a conversation that's generally very positive about having sex with your boyfriend. I think this is because something that I I brought up in the Dark Age very briefly, when we recapped the Dark Age, I actually remember thinking this way when I was 16 years old. And that's because our generation and the generations before us, we were just taught to feel like sex can be a bad thing, that we should Mm. fear it in some way. And there was a social narrative that was fed to us from a young age that sex should be waited on. Like abstinence was really pushed to us. It was a very normal thing, especially for girls, to feel like they're a bad person 
or to feel guilty for wanting to have sex. I, I think it's so of its time and so realistic, not only for the girls to be talking about Buffy taking the step with Angel and being realistic about it, but also bringing in that guilt, you know, to act on this could be bad. It's not what a good girl would do, but I, I want to love him and I want to seize the day. So I think there's just like a lot of cool aspects to this conversation. There absolutely is. And to go back to what we were saying about Buffy dealing with having died, isn't it ironic that Buffy feels most alive when she's with an undead person? I ironic and fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Willow is in awe of this because at, at the end of this conversation, Buffy says... She thinks they're going to, because once you get to a certain point, then seizing the day is sort of inevitable. And Willow is just like, wow, 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 as they walk away. And um, that's when Buffy spots Oz uh, playing guitar on a picnic table nearby. And she asks Willow what's going on. And, you know, it's Willow's turn for some boy talk here. What's Is there sparkage there? And Willow says that he's really nice and she likes his hands, <laughs> which is so cute. And Buffy says, hey, <laughs> focusing on an insignificant detail is a crush sign. So Willow's basically worried that, that he's too old because he's a senior. And Buffy calls her out on that. And I think she's just, that's her excuse, right? Oh, you know, he's like, he's too old. I, won't, I don't want Oh, him. absolutely. Willow is so precious. And she's so different from Buffy, right? Because Buffy mm -hmm. is, she's like, take charge. Like, I want this. I'm into Angel. Let's go get some Angel, day, right? Yeah. Let's <laughs> give him dinner in a bag and see how he reacts, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Willow, <laughs> like, we've had this conversation before. We don't know a ton about Willow's home life, but... We have learned that she's not allowed to have boys in her room. And from her nerdy personality, we're kind of getting the sense that her parents have brought her up in a very kind of straight-laced way. Um, we don't really know if her parents are like super conservative or if they're just like very much like you have to focus on your studies. But it's clear Willow doesn't have experience with boys, mm -hmm. right? So it's interesting to see that contrast between her and Buffy in that sense. I also like that Buffy's not being selfish. She is. It's going to be her birthday tomorrow. Mm -hmm. She's just told Willow she and Angel are probably going to have sex. But then she turns around and, like you said, she gives Willow the opportunity to be the focus of the girl talk. And that's such a classy friend move, right? <laughs> yes. You've just had your chance to talk. Now you're going to let your friend talk and you're going to encourage your friend with her crush. And I think that's really healthy. Yes, I, I agree with you. This is the co this conversation, this episode, you guys. But yeah, and I, I also love like your an analysis of Willow there because as much as she's more nervous around guys and she has no experience dating, she kind of goes with it for Oz. Like we've spent the last year watching her pine after Xander and do nothing about it. But here mm -hmm. she is taking charge and Buffy is encouraging her. So Willow is basically nervous and Buffy reminds her that you can't wait for Xander to wake up and smell the hottie, <laughs> which I that's, love. That was my favorite line. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. oh my God, that's such a great, it's a great thing to say to your friend to pump her up, right? Like he's going to wake up, he's going to smell the hottie. Yeah, like it's such a, a good affirming phrase. Yeah, it's so nice. So Willow is basically just worried about awkward silences. Buffy says, you don't know until you try. And Willow does approach Oz and she starts up a conversation with him. And it's it's so fucking cute. Like, he looks so happy to see her. He looks up and it's Willow and he has this big smile on his face. And Willow says she thinks the band sounds good and I bet you guys have a lot of groupies. <laughs> <laughs> 
that Oz says, ah, he's living groupie free these days. He's clean. <laughs> and um, Willow's starting to look awkward. She's kind of like, okay, now what, now what do I say? What do I say? And Oz takes it upon himself and says, I'm going to ask you to go out with me tomorrow. And I'm I'm nervous about it. It's it's interesting. Is basically how he says it. And oh my god, yes, Oz. Yes, I love that he is upfront with how he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Like he he just basically said that he's feeling vulnerable, but he did it in such a cool way. <laughs> he's very in touch with his emotions. Like he ha- clearly has an emotional intelligence that is lacking in certain other teenage male characters in this show. Yes. And I just love because we just heard for about a minute about how Willow's nervous and she doesn't know what to say. And he basically matched her in that. But he, and he verbalized it. He was very honest and he made her feel more comfortable by being like, I'm nervous. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's so nice. So Willow says, hey, if it helps, I'm going to say yes. So he he's like, it does help. It creates a comfort zone. So see you there. So Oz basically took her anxiety and brought it down and i fucking love yeah. it yeah and then he asks her out and then willow immediately goes oh i can't right like shattering <laughs> yeah. him like she's yeah. crushing him <laughs> um, right and he he hides it well he says yeah i like that you're unpredictable but it's like oh my god like willow <laughs> he, like if this had been any other person that would have been that would have destroyed so mean. him yeah so mean but that's that's the cool thing about Oz is that he wasn't like oh okay oh, like he was just like wow well that's I wasn't expecting that interesting <laughs> so you weren't because Willow just told you she was gonna say yes <laughs> I know but I love Willow's reaction to that because like the way she puts her hand to her head she's like oh ah I forgot um but great for Willow amazing for Willow she says they're throwing a surprise party for Buffy and he could go as her date and he just grins and he's like I'm in and they both just smile and walk it's away. So and it's so incredibly cute. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was watching this on my couch and I just had this huge grin on my face like oh, an yeah. idiot. I was just like, this makes me happy. And as Willow walks away and Oz is grinning after her and she just says, I said date. Like, <laughs> she cannot believe that like someone like Willow who has been clinging to Buffy's love life story and who only has ever dated Moloch, praise Moloch, she has now secured herself a date, which I think is such a big deal to her. Well, and this episode is all about thresholds, right? And crossing thresholds, especially thresholds from childhood to adulthood, mm-hmm. right? And Willow has very much been clinging onto her childhood innocence. Mm-hmm. Look at the way she dresses, Look at the way she talks. You know, she presents herself as, as an innocent, as, as a more girlish person. And so for her to say, oh, I said date, right? Like she's surprised with herself, like you said, because that's a very mature and, and grown up and adolescent thing to say. So sh- this is representing one of her first steps away from her childhood self mm-hmm. into her adolescent, more adult face. Damn this this episode! I'm telling you, but I will yeah. say I will say that Willow's purple hat distracted me, and I wish she had taken it off for. Oh no! That you scene. and I are totally opposite <laughs> on this. I am obsessed with that purple hat. I love that purple hat. I don't think I could pull it off. Um, maybe if my hair gets a bit longer, but I love. I remember her wearing that earlier in the season or season one or something, and just like. 
that's so iconic early Buffy Willow and it's so great that's fair it's just that it goes very low on her forehead and covered a little mm-hmm. bit of her eyes and I just I you know the scene is already 10 out of 10 could have been 11 out of 10 if I got to see a okay, little more of her well, face. Okay, well, we'll edit the hat out for you <laughs> during your next rewatch staff, okay? Uh, all right, all right. So the adorableness is is there. We can't handle it. It's awesome. Let's cut into the school where Xander is meeting Cordy at her locker and he's bringing up Buffy's party. And Cordy's like, <laughs> this, this scene, Cordy's like, just because she's Miss Save the World, I have to make a big deal. I have to cook. And we find out that she's chips and dip girl. And Xander says, oh, yeah, all that opening and stirring, <laughs> the horror. And Cordy says, shopping and carrying, too, <laughs> which is so good. Basically, what Xander's leading up to with this conversation is that he's trying to ask Cordy to go with him officially as a couple to Buffy's birthday party. And Cordy is like, why? And Xander is honest and says, despite their better judgment, they keep making out. So why can't they just admit that they're dating? And Cordy says, groping in a broom closet isn't dating. It's a date when the guy spends money. And Xander says he'll spend money, they'll grope, but he doesn't want to hide from their friends anymore. And Cordelia says, yeah, of course, you have nothing to be ashamed of, but I have everything to be ashamed of. So this is a classic Cordy and Xander scene, but we are seeing Xander trying to push things along with them and Mm -hmm. expressing a desire to make it official and be a Mm -hmm. couple. And Cordy, who we know from her very revealing episode in Out of Mind, Out of Sight in season one, popularity is a very big deal to Cordelia. It's how she establishes her self-esteem. It's how she wants to view herself in the world as the, the top of the food chain, the queen bee. So... She's not lying when she says, I have everything to be ashamed of by dating a total loser like Xander. She's not, she's being honest. I do think the fact that Xander's being a little bit more vulnerable with her here, like she's being, you know, tactless, but she's being honest as well. But that's also like Cordy's style, right? Yes. Despite the popular girl aesthetic that she's got going on, like Mm -hmm. she's actually a very straightforward person. She tells you what she thinks. She tells Mm -hmm. you what she feels. She's very upfront. I respect that in her. And yeah, Xander's not wrong for for wanting more from what he's got going on with Cordy, but Cordy's not ready for that because she's still clinging on to this idea that she's popular. Although you're going to a birthday party for Buffy Cordy. I think you've fallen pretty low already (laughs) it's true it's true and also her saying that you know money matters to her that's not new information we've known this about Mm -hmm. cordy since day one so xander after getting rejected basically says forget it that must have been you know multiple personality guy talking uh he's just a glutton for punishment and he walks away so i will say here as well because the last time we saw xander get rejected was by buffy and prophecy girl then he was not rejected by Ampata <laughs> in Inca Mummy Girl, but at least he's getting a little bit better at handling his rejection because mm-hmm. he didn't insult Cordy to her face. He, he insulted himself and <laughs> then walked away. Mm-hmm. Where does he walk to? He walks right into Giles, who is asking if everything is ready for the party. And Xander makes fun of Giles for using really big words as Buffy approaches. And that's a, a joke that continues with the scene. But as Buffy approaches, she's with Jenny and Xander says, Buffy, I feel a pre-birthday spanking coming on. Oh, <laughs> oh. so gross. Like, I know, I know, 
I know. We, I know, I know. or at least I praised Xander a few times in the past couple of episodes because I thought he deserved it. Oh my God, Xander, you make things so difficult for us, right? Like there's no defending this behavior. It's just so bad. I just, I agree. I think in certain cases, this could be a very funny joke amongst friends who joke this way. But Buffy has never accepted this type of humor from him because he's been so pervy and gross. Right. So him saying this has that edge to it where you're like, fuck off, Xander. Pretty much. If you were the kind of guy that makes these jokes but isn't actually meaning them, this would be a funny thing to say to your friend. But it's clear that he sexually desires Buffy, right? Yes. He's watched her change. <laughs> and so spanking has a very different context to this. And so like Jenny's response to that is so good because she's like, I'd curb that impulse if I were you, right? She's like <laughs> shutting it down, which A, as a teacher, if you overhear students talking that way, that's exactly what you should do. Yep. Uh, and B, like she does it in a good way, right? Of like, she doesn't blow it up into a big thing, but she's also just like, we're done with you. And then they sit down and Buffy tells Giles all about what's bothering her because she's clearly, she's looking kind of beside herself so giles mm -hmm. is concerned and she explains about her dream she explains uh i think drusilla might still be alive and giles is i think he he doesn't want to discount her completely but i also think he doesn't want to like make her more worried by taking it too seriously so he's just kind of like you know like don't worry too much about it but we'll just keep an eye on things right and uh xander makes fun of him again for using a big word. I think it's cataclysmic. Mm -hmm. And he, I love Giles' reaction because he's basically like we said earlier, he's basically saying, fuck off, Xander, because he's like, Xander, go to class. <laughs> and I just, I loved it. It's like, yes, yeah. just dismiss Xander. He is not useful at this moment. Send him away. Yes, exactly. Giles, you're right. Giles is very like, this is nothing. And then we cut to the factory where, of course, it's something is happening. And the scholar vampire from What's My Line he is arriving with this giant box and he says, I have your package. And that's when we hear Spike's voice off camera saying, put it on the table with the other gifts. So Spike comes into view and he is in a wheelchair and he's very badly burnt. And Drusilla is pushing behind him and they're basically talking about invitations being sent out for a party. In this scene, Spike is lacking his usual charisma and energy. He's very dejected and he's saying to Drew, like, why can't we just leave Sunnydale? Nothing happens the way it's supposed to here. Drusilla says her gatherings are always perfect. And it's like you said, there's a connection between Drusilla and Buffy in this episode. So it is interesting that Drusilla is planning a party when it's Buffy's birthday. Could it be Drusilla's birthday as well? I mean, this is a really great question. After licking Spike's burns, <laughs> Drusilla loses her mind over the flower arrangements that are in the factory. And my first thought was like, did they kill a, like a PR company or a party planning business <laughs> to create this party look? Or did they just find really nice vampires that would do this? Vampire horticulturalists, uh, right? I mean, you could only tend your flowers <laughs> at night. But... Yeah, but I mean, they're beautiful. Beautiful arrangements. And uh, basically, Drusilla asks Spike if she can open a box. And he's like, yep, just a peek. They're for the party. So she looks in the box. And we don't see what it is. But we see her look in. And she says, it reeks of death. And this is going to be the best party ever. Because it will be the last. 
Ooh, something is afoot. In the morning, it's Buffy's 17th birthday, and Joyce is saying that she's going to be giving her a mall trip on Saturday to celebrate. Woohoo! And uh, Joyce asks her if 17 feels any different from 16, and Buffy says, hey, you know what? She feels more responsible, she feels mature and level-headed which are the qualities that a licensed driver needs. And we learned that Joyce had said that they could talk about it again when Buffy turned 17. So clearly Buffy wanted to get her license when she was 16 and Joyce vetoed that. And I'm torn a little bit because on one hand, I think it's so important for you and I grew up in a very, in a small city. So getting your driver's license as soon as you can was like top priority when I was 16. It's like, if I don't get this driver's license and learn how to get myself around, <laughs> I'm going nowhere, <laughs> you know? So that on one hand, I'm like, Joyce, let Buffy get her driver's license. On the other hand, Buffy was expelled from her last school and is really irresponsible, yeah. according to Joyce. So I understand why Joyce would make and that decision. And Sunnydale's a small town. Like, it's pretty easy to get around, especially when you can run really fast as the Slayer. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I get it from Buffy's point of view. Obviously, she wants to be able to drive, but you've got Cordelia. <laughs> you've got Cordy to drive you. And like, how quickly, Buffy, would you ruin your mom's car? Like immediately, first episode. So Joyce says, do you really think you're ready, Buffy? And drops <sighs> her plate. <gasps> and it smashes just like Buffy's dream. What the fuck? So. We're in Jenny's classroom at Sunnydale High, and there's a man with a huge hat approaching her from the back of the room where I guess he was standing this whole time. She seems to know him and says, I know I haven't written much lately. I've been busy. And he asks her what could possibly make her so busy that she ignores the responsibilities of her people. And he says the elder woman has been reading the signs. Something is different. Jenny firmly says nothing has changed. The curse still holds. This man says the elder woman is never wrong. She says his pain is lessening. She can feel it. Jenny admits that there is a girl. And the guy's like, how could you How could you let this happen? And Jenny's like, I promise that Angel still suffers. He makes amends for his evil. He even saved my life. <laughs> Back the fuck up <laughs> what what okay it's very clear that jenny and this guy are talking about angel obviously mm -hmm. and buffy and their relationship so here we're learning that jenny is not who she says she wait, is. wait 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 are you saying that a character who came to sunnydale <laughs> and is aware of supernatural stuff isn't who they say they are and actually has an ulterior motive that involves the slayer in some way no, I'm shocked, uh, Steph. Surprise! I am blown away. Blown away. I really want to know. I mean, we'll get more into this as the scene goes on, but I really want to know from first-time watchers, what are you thinking yeah. right now, right? Like, what is this? Is this shocking? So we have more lies. Lies! And so many once again, lies. we have another surprise, right? Like, this episode is full of surprises, true to the title. So I love that. Oh, such a good episode. So... This man says, you forget that he destroyed the most beloved daughter of your tribe, that he killed every man, woman, and child that touched her life. Vengeance demands that his pain be eternal as ours is. If this girl gives him one minute of happiness, it's one minute too much. Jenny starts apologizing. He says, you thought you were Jenny Calendar now? You are Janna, 
of the Calderesh people. She's living <laughs> a whole double life. Her entire life in Sunnydale is a lie. She's lying to Giles. Oh my god. Yeah, and like we're very, like obviously I think it's pretty clear at this moment that she's part of this clan of people or this Yeah, so like Jenny Jenny is uh Romany and she this is what I love about this episode is she's torn between her loyalty to her people and her personal admiration and respect for the Slayer and the Scoobies and Giles, of course. You know, she's embedded herself in this life she's built in Sunnydale. And it would be hard to burn that down in order to serve her people. But that's the choice she's being given here, right? Because mm-hmm. he's basically giving her an order. He's like, stop this. You stop this right now. You break them up. Mm-hmm. Oh. He's like, your time of watching is past. The girl and him ends now. Do what you must to take her from him. And she's like, I will see to it. So like all of a sudden, Jenny Callender is like the biggest villain in my life. She's going to tear up this couple. And I also want to add that they're screaming at them. Like he's like yelling at her. You're in a school, sir. So she, calm down. Yeah. But yeah, like there's so many questions around this now. It's like, was she even a techno pagan or was that a lie? Mm-hmm. And did she come to Sunnydale, obviously, to watch over Angel? So is that why she started flirting with Giles in the first place? To get closer to the Slayer? Yeah. Did she even know Buffy was a Slayer? I don't think she did because she kind of found that out in Prophecy Girl, unless she was lying. <laughs> okay, so here's my personal take. And listeners, if any of you have other takes, please share. Okay. Um, I do think Jenny's a techno pick. She's clearly very good with computers. She clearly has the training to be a computer teacher. I think that's why she was given this assignment. She's probably a bit of a black sheep in in her family, in her clan. And they're like, we don't really know what to do with you, but you could probably fit in with these people. So we're going to send you on this mission, right? She's probably being a little bit rebellious. And they're like, this is how you can be of use to us. So she comes to Sunnydale. I agree with you that I don't think she knew Buffy was a slayer. I don't think she was really prepared for living on the Hellmouth, right? She might have been aware mm-hmm. it's there, because I'm sure her people are aware of that and they're aware of that's why kind of angels drawn there and all these other creatures are drawn there. But she pro- she's very young. Like, you know, she's not one of the elders. So she didn't really know what she was getting herself into. All she knew was she had a mission. Mm-hmm. And her mission was supposed to be very passive, right? It was keep an eye on him, make sure he's still suffering. That's it. So I don't think she intended to get so closely involved. But then, of course, Moloch happened, and then the school kept upgrading its computer systems. And then, yeah, I think her attraction to Giles is genuine. And the reason I'm saying that is because if we see her relationship with Giles as sophistry, it it makes what happens later on in the season less meaningful, I think, right? So I think it's a better reading to see it as genuine. And also what happened previously with the Dark Age, right? Like, if she had been trying to manipulate Giles intentionally, why would she hold herself at a distance, right? Why wouldn't she just be like, no, it's fine. I forgive you. You know, let's bone down so that I can get closer to you and the Scoobies. I think she genuinely, like, because this is the thing, right? Is she hasn't been given any orders up until this point. She's just there to watch. So why not help? And she doesn't want evil to happen. Like, her people don't want evil to happen. So up until this point, everything yeah. that she's done has been for the greater good. She has helped out. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. 
Angel and Buffy being together is apparently a no-no, and we're not... It has something to do with the curse that gave him his soul, but we don't fully understand the consequences of him being happy. And what is it? Mm, I don't well, know. Yeah, so, it's yeah. just it seems like they're like, this is gonna be bad, right? And we're told it's bad for moral reasons, right? Like he has to suffer. But it, it's kind of unclear, mystically speaking. You know, clearly there's a connection and it's interesting because basically Jenny's being put in a position where up until this point she's just had to watch like a watcher almost but like Giles (laughs) now she's too involved right and now she has to decide well whose loyalties take precedence this surprise in this writing right this this reveal makes me so much more curious about the lore around Buffy itself. Mm-hmm. Buffy coming to Sunnydale triggered so many important events. Mm-hmm. It, it triggered Angel coming to Sunnydale to help her out, which then triggered Jenny to come to Sunnydale because I guess the tribe was probably watching Angel mope around for a hundred years. And then all of a sudden he's in Sunnydale mm-hmm. living above ground and helping out a girl. Yep. So obviously they sent her there to be like, what is going on? So interesting. Oh my gosh. So in the next scene, Buffy is telling Giles what happened, and Xander and Willow come in, and they're super excited, and they're like, "Happy birthday, Buffy!" Willow, they're and they're like jumping hug. on it's her. So cute, <laughs> really cute. And Buffy is on edge though because Drusilla might be alive because her mother broke a plate. So Giles is doing his best to calm her down, and he r- reminds her that dreams aren't prophecies. And she dreamt the master had risen, but she stopped him. Xander said something actually pretty funny here. And he's like, yeah, you ground his bones to make your bread, <laughs> which is which made me laugh. I'm not going to lie. And Giles said he was, he's going to read up on Drusilla and see if there's any connections there. And Buffy should beat him in the library at 7 p.m. So B- Buffy leaves looking dejected and Willow and Xander think that the surprise party is canceled. And Willow's like, oh, I bought little hats and everything, you know. And Giles says, no, we're having a party. Buffy and Angel are in danger all the time. They have been before and they will be again. But living on the Hellmouth means there's no good time to relax. So Buffy is turning 17 just this once and deserves a party. And I was like, oh my god, dad, like Giles, that's so nice. It, it like, really I love is. This. And it's an excellent so point nice. that he makes, right? Because yeah, there's no good time to relax. Something bad is always in the process of happening. So I think that's a good life lesson. You know, kids listening to this, because I know we do have a few quite young listeners. Uh, Kids who are listening to this, I'm not trying to tell you that life is all bad. But as you get older, (laughs) the complexities of life do start to weigh on you a little bit. So it is very important that you surround yourself with people who will lift you up during difficult moments and that you always find the time and make the space to enjoy yourself and take care of yourself especially when you're going through a harder time. Wow. I'm going to cry. That was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) So we fast forward, like we just skip the whole day, basically. They're just like, this day is not important. And we get to Buffy showing up at the library, which like, okay, Buffy, you're on time for once. Good job. Because every other time somebody tells Buffy to be somewhere, she just never shows up. Um, (laughs) And Jenny's there. She's like, oh, hey, Giles told me that he needs to uh, meet you near his house. Uh, He said something about having to get a book or something, you know, doing research. 
And she's like, hey, I can drive you. And Buffy accepts, right? Because it's totally normal for your teacher to be there after hours and then offer to drive you somewhere. Nothing inappropriate about that whatsoever. And I thought this was very interesting because having seen what we just saw with Jenny, we're clearly supposed to be suspicious, right? Like Jenny Mm -hmm. is up to something. We think, oh, like, is she like going to take Buffy somewhere? Like, because she's supposed to separate Buffy and Angel. Like, she could do something to Buffy. Yeah, she's sketchy as fuck now. Like, we don't trust her. They go to the bronze, which is where the surprise party is happening. So I'm just like, is Jenny actually just being benign here? Is she just taking Buffy to the surprise party? Is that, that Was that part of the plan? I'm so confused about that. So, listeners, again, please tell us what's going on with this. <laughs> I think that it was always Jenny's plan to pick up Buffy and bring her to the party. Okay. I think that was always the plan. But because we now know that Jenny isn't who she says she is, we as the audience can interpret this as, is she a threat now? Yeah, exactly. Is she about like, to kill her? She yeah. seems more dangerous. Yeah, there's something sketchy with this chick now. <laughs> so, but when they get, okay, I think number one, it's so funny that this party's at the bronze. Did they rent out the bronze That's, for this specific reason? Yeah, so it's, it's a weeknight, right? Because we know that the mall trip is on Saturday, so and it was a school yeah. day. So this is a weeknight. And we know the bronze is a hippin', hoppin', and happenin' place every day of the week. Um, so how much does it cost to shut down the bronze for the night for a private function? And who's paying for this? Is Giles paying for this? He doesn't make that much money as a librarian. Yeah, and like there there really is no need for it to be at the bronze. They could have had it at the library or at Giles' house. Well, maybe, oh, maybe not Giles' house. But like, you know, Buffy's house, like anybody's it's house. It's just such a strange location. And once again, the economics of the bronze to me are very fascinating. <laughs> and I want the fanfic about that, please. And I, I also want to know because obviously... Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but Buffy gets into a fight and breaks through the window of the bronze. Who's paying for that? Because obviously... <laughs> That's not like the under first their... time either, right? Like, she's yeah. getting very uh, comfy with that window. She and that window have had some tough times. But if you rent out a venue for a certain amount of time, that's under you. <laughs> so someone in this group is paying for that window. They're not getting their damage deposit back. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, we're jumping ahead of ourselves because there are a bunch of vamps unloading a truck right outside the bronze. Why? I don't know. It's just convenient, I suppose. So the scholar vamp has another giant box and Buffy confronts them and she says, whenever I see you, you're always stealing something. So you funny. should speak to someone about those klepto issues. <laughs> <laughs> so two other vampires attack her while the scholar vampire gets away. She gets basically pulled up onto the truck. It's pretty cool. And they fight and it's she kills one. And then, like we said, she breaks through the, the bronze uh, window with the other. And right before she breaks through, we see that Oz, Willow, Xander, Cordelia, Giles, and Angel are all like huddling down. Like they're about to surprise her because they think she's outside that's when buffy breaks through and she dusts the vamp with a drumstick so resourceful very resourceful and everyone is watching this and that's when cordelia jumps out and says surprise (laughs) because she's so oblivious to all the noise she's oblivious i really like her top very cool top (laughs) and she just said the title of the episode so many surprises in this episode surprise She's just like, that's just what it sounds like when Buffy enters the room. So everyone is looking at Cordy now and Oz, who has never seen anything like this before, he says, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. So 
Buffy's just like, oh, what's going on? And Giles is like, it's a surprise party. And Buffy is genuinely touched. She's like, you guys, you did this for me? That's so sweet. And uh, Willow is asking Oz if he's okay. And he says, hey, uh, did everyone just see that guy turn to dust? <laughs> he's just so chill about us. Yeah. And Xander's like very flip. And he's just like, vampires are real. A lot of them live in Sunnydale. Willow will fill you in. <laughs> But Willow doesn't have to fill Oz in because he's just basically like, actually, that explains a lot. And boom, just like that, Oz is one of the Scoobies. <laughs> and, it, and it does, right? Like, yeah. we've kind of talked about this before. It seems pretty clear that most of the people in Sunnydale, especially the, the younger people, are aware that strange stuff is happening in this town. And most of them just choose to be willfully oblivious because... To do otherwise would be to accept the nightmarish horrors that exist. Mm -hmm. So, like, we know that Snyder knows the truth. And he, there's at least some people in the police who know the truth. And they're colluding to cover it up. It, you know, a lot of the high school students are very aware that the death count at Sunnydale is higher than it normally is at a California <laughs> high school. So, I, I think this is a good example of, like... Oz is just like, yeah, like strange stuff keeps happening. Mm -hmm. And now that you tell me vampires are real, I'm like, okay, like I'm on board with it. So yeah, he's just gonna roll with it. He's like, okay. I just I think when when Xander said Willow will fill you in, it just made me think about how like they should just record like a video and just sit the, the new new person down and be like, watch this five minute video. And it can be like, I don't know who it would be Giles or somebody will like come out from behind the stacks and be like, Welcome to Sunnydale. So you've just discovered that vampires are real. Here's some more information that you need to know before you join the Scoobies. They should get that video of Buffy fighting that vamp on Halloween. <laughs> that Spike has. <laughs> just watch this. It's <laughs> like all you need to know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we're happy that Oz accepts it so quickly. But I mean, really, this is like he's in. Like he's, he's in this now. He's in the secret. Because he also knows that Buffy's a slayer now. So... Jenny is carrying the box in that the vamps left behind. Oh, sorry. I think I said earlier that the guy yep. got away with it. But anyway. I think he dropped it or something. Hey, okay. So the so obviously the scholar, dro the scholar vamp dropped the box and Jenny's carrying it in now. And they open it up and there's a chain link arm with a giant glove inside. Very strange. But then the arm lifts up and grabs Buffy by the throat and starts to choke her. Buffy and Angel manage to fight it off and shut the lid. And they're like, oh, what was that? And Oz like, it looked like an arm. <laughs> no shit. And uh, Angel recognizes the arm, of course, and says, <laughs> it's the judge, which was a legend before his time. It's a demon brought forth to rid the earth of the plague of humanity. Giles knows exactly what Angel's talking about. He's like, yeah, this guy can't be killed. An army was sent to kill him. Most of them died, but they were able to dismember him but not kill him. And the pieces were scattered around the earth. So they figure out pretty quickly that Drusilla is bringing them together to reassemble the judge and bring forth Armageddon. Great. And, great. And it's this point where Cordelia's like, is anyone else going to have cake? <laughs> I fucking love her. So Giles says, we need to get this thing out of town. And that's when Jenny immediately says, Angel has to do it. He's the one who can protect this thing. Buffy can't skip town for months, so it has to be Angel. And I was like, Jenny, you are so quick and opportune right here. Like, you're just yeah. like, I know immediately who should take it. <laughs> There's no hesitation, right? And nope. it's like, 
And, and, you know, Buffy is obviously not happy with this, but Angel's like, no, no, she's right. I got to get this somewhere like Nepal. And he's like, I can't fly on a plane because there's sunlight. So I'm going to have to sneak onto a boat. Um, and he's, he, Buffy's like, oh, but when are you going to leave? And he's like, tonight. And she's like, but it's my birthday. And sad. <laughs> and it's yeah. like the moment he says he's leaving tonight, Jenny, Jenny, like literally the camera shot is Buffy and Angel <laughs> facing each other. Jenny like interposes herself in between them. And she's like, yeah. I'll drive you to the docks like right away. <laughs> she's like, I'm not even going to give you a moment. It's like, let's get going, Angel. Faster the better. Yeah. Chop, chop. Um, also... <laughs> Did we know that Sunnydale has docks? Have we seen the docks before? No, I don't think so. This is probably our first time at the docks. Yeah. So Sunnydale is like close to the coast or something. <laughs> like we've got an airport. We've got a zoo. We've got a museum. We've got docks. Like <laughs> Sunnydale is a big place for a small town. Yeah. I mean, it. it, it I would visit it. Except I would never go to Sunnydale. <laughs> but it sounds like amazing. You know, there's got all these things. And uh, yeah, Jenny's basically like, ha ha ha, everything is according to plan. A plan that fell into my lap just a second, <laughs> just now. I will say, like, yeah. good for her in the sense of like, this is this is still a, quite a benign way to break them up, right? Like, mm-hmm. she was probably worried she'd have to engineer something that would be a lot more painful for, for Angel and Buffy. And this is probably the best opportunity because it's not like she's trying to, like, create some kind of lie to drive them apart and break them up. It's like, no, she's physically sending Angel away for several months. And Mm -hmm. ideally, he will either never come back or if he does (laughs) come back, maybe Buffy has changed. I'm just now I'm just imagining Jenny, like, setting Buffy up with a bunch of guys while Angel's gone, like, subtly, like, sending them her direction. (laughs) <laughs> or I could like see Jenny following Angel around to make sure he he's unhappy on that boat. <laughs> so, yeah, um we cut to the factory. Drusilla is ticked off that the scholar guy lost her present. And he basically says the slayer came out of nowhere, but Drusilla takes off his glasses and stomps on them. And then she's about to poke out his eyeballs when Spike stops her and says He's a wanker, but he's the only one with half a brain. Um, If he fails to get the box back, then you can eat his eyes out of his sockets for all I care. And Drusilla basically just puts the broken glasses on the ground back on his face and it's like, off you go. So this is a very small scene. I'm not sure the purpose of it other than just to bring it back to Drusilla and Spike for a second. Uh, and to show that Drusilla is still a bit unhinged. That's Yeah, absolutely. That's That's probably what it's there for. And I think it's just there to break up the the episode to go to the next scene where they're at the docks and to kind of tell us that some trouble is coming their way. Yes, I agree. So at the docks, the magical docks, the Buffy and Angel theme song is playing. So, you know, emotion, emotions are high right now. So Angel's carrying the box as Buffy clings to his arm as they walk toward a big boat. And this is it, Kara. This is this is the goodbye scene. And I cried. I cried when I watched this because goodbye scenes just really get me all the time. So Angel promises that he'll be back. And Buffy is just really worried that this is the last time that they'll ever see each other as someone pretty much always wants them dead. And again, like Buffy has a lot of anxiety around living a very short life, right? Like sees the day. I might mm-hmm. never feel this way again. So here she is, like the love of my life is leaving and I might never get to see him again. So, ugh, like, you know, you know why I've been really, <laughs> I've been really thinking about why I love this couple so much. And I obviously it's the writing. The writing is, the relationship is 
drawn out so that it's epic and romantic and that's why I like it. But I think ultimately what gets me about this couple is that their love is just centered around this loneliness, this tragic loneliness that both of them feel. Angel being this vampire with a soul that spent so long by himself in feeling guilty and depressed. And then Buffy comes around and he's starting to feel happy again. And then Buffy, who has this horrible destiny that's violent and going to lead her to not live the life that she wants and ultimately kill her. And she's mm -hmm. terribly lonely. So I just love that they found each other. And that's why they love each other, in my opinion. I actually had a conversation with somebody very recently, and they said they never understood Buffy's attraction to Angel. Mm -hmm. And... I understand that for season one, for sure, because season one, he was a fuckboy. He just like came for a bit, left, wasn't very helpful. But all through season two, they've just been building up this connection. And I believe it. I'm invested in it. I think it's it was done very, very well. So I think for me, it's just this like undercurrent of pain that they're both feeling. And that pain is alleviated when they're together. And I think that's beautiful. That's why this scene made me cry, because they're leaving each other. And that's really sad. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree. Angel has come a long way since this fuckboy passed in season one. Mm -hmm. And they've done a great job building up this relationship. And I like the way that you framed why the relationship is so compelling for a lot of viewers. So yeah, yeah. like the, the fact that they have to leave and they just found each other. So anyway, Angel says that um, they can't be sure of anything, but he has something for her and it's her birthday gift. And it's a clotter ring. So basically the ring itself, it has hands it has a crown and it has a heart and the hands represent friendship the crown represents loyalty and the heart if it's on your finger and pointing toward you it means that you belong to somebody and angel says like this and he's already wearing a ring with the heart pointed toward him and kara i went back and i looked at older episodes to see if he was wearing that ring and he was <laughs> he's been wearing that ring for a while and he mm -hmm. wore it in buffy's dream in her prophecy dream so that's really interesting too mm -hmm. nice. so i'm glad you caught that yeah, so the Buffy Angel music is playing as Buffy is crying. She kisses his ring on his hand. He puts the ring on her. She says, don't go. And they kiss. And then the angel stops and he says, Buffy, I dot dot dot. And then boom, a vampire attacks them from up high. He like jumped off something and landed on them and interrupts this beautiful heartbreaking moment. And they're both fighting different vamps two against angel as the scholar vamp is there he grabs the box and runs angel manages to stop him but then the other vampire gets in the way and buffy is thrown off the dock into the water and this is another i mean to be fair sometimes this relationship does distract these two because angel jumps in the water after buffy yeah. when i think everybody in the audience is like go after the box like she's a she yeah. can swim she can swim <laughs> But this, but but this is why Angel doesn't have to leave now, right? Like you know that if Angel, if they still have the box, Angel has to leave. So they mm -hmm. have to lose the box yes. in order for Angel to be able to stay and help them fight the judge. Because you wouldn't bring in an enemy purportedly that powerful and not assemble him. Like we know the judge is getting assembled. That's a given. Yes. That's not a surprise. So yeah, but it, it's a very. This episode is kind of like. A clockwork episode the writers must have spent a lot of time formulating exactly how all of these moving parts were going to fit together right how is Buffy getting to the bronze for this prize party 
How are they getting the box the first time? Uh, you know, what's going to happen at the docks to cause them to lose the box? And everything just kind of has to work together just so, mm-hmm. so that it's not super contrived, but it does, It there is an element of contrivance to this. And I think there's room to be a little critical of that aspect of this show's writing because it, yeah. it's a really good episode, but it is a, it is an episode that's on rails a little bit. And... I can forgive that because, like you've been saying, the development of the relationships in this episode, particularly the romantic ones, is so good and so necessary for our character growth in this case that mm-hmm. I, I think it's okay to forgive the the way the writing is perhaps not as freeform and crisp as it might be in some of the other episodes. Yeah, that's very fair. Good observation. So we're going to cut to the library where Giles and the Scoobies are there. And Giles is saying that they should have been back by now. And Willow says, well, maybe Buffy needed a few minutes to pull herself together. Right? Like, just knowing that she's probably so, so heartbroken. And Xander starts spewing out this jealousy. He He starts giving up this like future scenario where Buffy and Angel are super unhappy. And Buffy realizes like that... She, she made the wrong choice with being attracted to the creature of the night and Xander is going to fly into town on his private jet and take Buffy off a prime rib and she cries. And I thought we were getting over this. Like, how naive of us? Because we kept saying the last couple episodes, Xander's jealousy is lifting. Like, his distraction okay. of Cordy is lifting that jealousy of Buffy. But here it is where he would so rather picture Buffy having a terrible future and a horrible life so that he can swoop in and make her feel better, and also make her cry. Is he talking about Buffy and Angel, though? Or is he talking about his own home life with his parents? Oh, you mean like this? Okay, so you're saying because he says Buffy is working two jobs, Angel has a pot is a pot-bellied man in front of the TV, dreaming of the days when Buffy thought he was hotter is that what you're is that what you're referring to yeah i'm thinking like you know i'm I'm with you like yeah the jealousy is kind of there although i think that's coming from the rejection of cordelia right i think he's Mm. just feeling petty and he can't talk about cordelia because nobody's supposed to know right that's still a secret yeah so i think that's where the jealousy is coming from but i think maybe the scenario he's dreaming up uh, is drawn from his experience because we're given to understand that xander comes from maybe a less stable or less nourishing home environment than many of the other characters. So I don't know if that's like exactly what's going on at his house, but I think he's drawing from his own experiences, his own anxieties about who he might grow into, right? We kind of saw that with career day and stuff. Like, Wow, I love that. You know, maybe he's saying, Mm. I could be that person and I don't want to be that Mm -hmm. guy. No, I think that's an excellent observation and and analysis of Xander's character and where he's coming from. I didn't even think of it that angle. It's just like, he's being jealous. What a jerk. But Mm -hmm. like, you're right. Like, there could be a little bit more to it than we know. And we keep getting these little peaks at Xander's life. And we're going to get another one at the very end of this scene. I think you're actually... Like, you're, you're, you've convinced me. I think you're right. So <laughs> so Buffy ha- comes into the library behind them and says that they were ambushed and they got the box. The vampires got the box. Jenny took Angel to get clothing because she already had clothes at school that she could change into. And again, this little tiny remark makes me think, are they trying to make Jenny look 
like a villain here because already she got Buffy alone, but turns out it was fine. But now she's alone with Angel when we were just told that he, like, she's there to yeah. make him suffer. <gasps> so Giles has been doing research and says the judge's touch can literally burn the humanity out of you. So no human has ever survived it. And Xander, of course, makes a joke about Cordelia being able to survive it. <laughs> and Giles says no weapon forged can kill him, which is what he read in one of those ancient books of his. So... They all agree that they're going to research all night. They're going to do a round robin, call each other's homes, and tell them they're staying at the other person's house for the night. And again, like, what day is this? Is this Tuesday? Wednesday? We don't know. Giles doesn't know what this is. And basically, Buffy's just like, this just frees us all up to save the world. And Willow says, and all night keggers. <laughs> and everyone's like, this is weird. And she's like, what, Xander's the only one that can make dumb jokes? But here's what I was saying just now. Xander goes on the phone and he calls his mom and he says, mom, hi, it's Xander. Mm -hmm. So like that one comment there where it's like, when you say mom, hi, you'd think, oh, it's Xander. But he had to explain that it's her son. Yeah. That just small little quote tied in with what you just brought up about him picturing his future based on his own home life. This is just another little taste of what it might be like to be Xander and to be living at home with parents that don't recognize yeah, him. Yeah, because he says like, Willow and I are going to be studying all night and her, his mom just doesn't seem to have a problem with that, right? It's like, okay, you're going to spend all night with a girl. No problems with that. I mean, it's Willow, right? She obviously mm -hmm. knows Willow. But it's like, I think a lot of parents would be much more involved <laughs> and yeah. kind of hold Xander to some more accountability here. Also, yeah. I just had this thought, like, Buffy, Willow, and Xander, all three of them are only ch ch childs, right? Like, only childs. Only children. <laughs> I don't know what the child. plural is of only child, but like... None of them have siblings, right? Nope. From what we know, they're all only children. That's interesting. Let's hold on to that for a couple more seasons because I know exactly okay. what to say. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> what to say about that, but I cannot say it right now. All right. So the studying is going on in the library. Study research party. Yay. And um, Willow is... Uh, taking a moment and because of the way the, the scene cuts itself we, we know they're there for hours we know it's been a really long time so Willow's taking a brain break and just saying I can't get over how cool Oz was about all this stuff and Xander says gee I'm over it fuck off <laughs> like go like shut up when you think about the conversation that her and Buffy had earlier about boys and then you get Xander's a, a reply here about Willow being excited about this boy. That's why I say fuck off because Willow's really excited about something and you had to shit all over it. And Willow says, you're just jealous because you didn't have a date for the party. <laughs> and Xander's like, yeah, sure didn't. So Angel is there. He's wearing a nice tight sweater with his sleeves rolled up. I noticed that because I think he looked really hot. Buffy is <laughs> sleeping in Giles's office. Giles and Angel look at her sleeping and Giles is like, oh, Buffy needed some rest. And he smiles as he walks away because he just loves his daughter so much. And Angel says, yeah, she's been, she hasn't been sleeping well, tossing and turning. And everyone stares at him and he's like, she told me because of her dreams. So as Buffy is sleeping, we know that she's having a nightmare and she's in the factory. She's in Drusilla and Spike's factory wearing a white dress and you know what a white dress symbolizes. When was the last time she wore a white dress? Ooh. So she's wandering around this party. We briefly see a glimpse of Jenny 
from the back. And we see Drusilla saying, now, now, and she's on the balcony with a giant knife at Angel's neck. And she's also wearing a white dress, the same dress that Buffy is wearing. So, ooh. She says, hands off my presents. And she's about to cut Angel when Buffy wakes up and screams, Angel! (laughs) But he's right there and they hug and all is well. (laughs) But it's interesting because as Buffy looks over Angel's shoulder, we pan into Drusilla at the factory who is dancing because the party is in full swing. There's a punch bowl full of fruit punch or watery blood, (laughs) both. And... um, Spike brings in the last box and the judge is ready to be assembled. So they assemble all the boxes together to make this like giant (laughs) man shape. And then it glows yellow and opens up and the demon, it's a giant blue looking demon. And it looks a lot like Luke and sounds a lot like Luke from the Harvest. Yeah, funny how that works, right? (laughs) Very uncanny, very strange. And um, (laughs) the judge looks at Drusilla and Spike and says, you two stink of humanity. (laughs) Well, and I think it's interesting that the the actor who played Luke as well, who for people who forgotten Luke was the vampire, the master's original minion in the first two episodes of the series until Buffy kills him in the bronze. And Luke was a very like religious and devout follower of the master and he was always spouting scripture and prophecy oh man and now this actor is portraying the judge and he's kind of got the same attitude of like i am this whole well unholy force mm-hmm. and i am going to purify right and i mm-hmm. thought that was an interesting parallel between these two characters yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, he, he calls out Spike and Drusilla. He says they stink of humanity and they share affection and jealousy. And Spike is like, yeah, what of it? <laughs> and he reminds him that we brought you back. And Drusilla op- offers up a party favor, a.k.a. one of her vampire guests. And the judge looks at the scholar vamp and says this one is full of feeling. And he reads bring oh, him yeah. to me like reading's the worst so human of him although <sighs> i i do think it's interesting and here's something i don't want to dive too far into it right now we've got a long way to go in the series so we don't have to talk about it too much now but he said that drusilla and spike have humanity in them because of their affection for each other and this is something that mm-hmm. listeners have brought up to us before in our hot stakes or in just in their emails to us to talk about the show and I didn't want to pass this by because I think if you're ever going to make a case for vampires actually feeling some sort of type Mm -hmm. of love, this is where that could begin. Because the judge who is the person who determines who has humanity or who doesn't, he says they do. So this is, let's keep our eye on this. Do we trust him though? Like, is he really the most reliable judge? (laughs) He seems biased. Um, No, I'm with you. I'm glad that you didn't just pass it by, Steph. Because I remember, like, I originally came down kind of very hard line of like, no, you know, vampires don't have souls, except Angel. uh, Therefore, they can't love because only things with souls can love. And, you know, some viewers have disagreed. um, And like, I've got an open mind on this. I, I think maybe like, my original opinion was kind of drawing from other TV shows that have mm-hmm. built their mythology a little differently around mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. and you do require a soul to love. So, yeah, like maybe we could say for now, at least, because I agree with you, this is 
going to come up throughout the series. It's kind of a theme. Um, but for now, at least maybe we could say like, it appears that there are degrees of humanity and some vampires might be closer to humanity than other vampires, depending mm-hmm. on how much they cling to human ideas versus mm-hmm. surrender to their vampire impulses. We kind of talked about that in What's My Line. We talked about the scholar vampire and how, you know, he's on Spike's staff because like he looks the part, right? And we were talking about how a lot of vampires don't last very long. Because they just give in to their urges and they just hunt and feed. And then eventually either Buffy kills them or another vampire or demon kills them because they get in over their heads. Like, I think for the average vampire, life is cruel and short. Mm-hmm. But there are some vampires who retain enough of their humanity to remain functional and live longer. So, yeah, I, I'm open to reevaluating my opinion on that so yeah let's keep talking about that yeah, throughout the series. so am i yeah we'll, we'll we'll keep looking at this what we're saying listeners is that we hear the judge we see it and we're gonna keep our eye on it and we're open mm-hmm. to exploring this more basically the judge is gonna burn up this scholar vampire who's been nothing but helpful and spike <laughs> is like what's with the bringing i thought you could just zap people and the judge says he's not at his full strength yet so he needs contact so he does touch the scholar vamp and he burns him into dust and this is a great example of classic corporate culture because you work 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 and for what right so you can get fired at the last minute so yeah right so drusilla and spike are loving it drusilla's like do it again do it again if i were the other vampires in there i would just take off so drusilla is having a much better birthday than buffy is right now absolutely and i just want to say i as, as kind of like campy as the judge is you know like why did you put his body parts in boxes that could conveniently be reassembled like that Mm-hmm. That was there. That wasn't necessary. No. Um, he's a kind of an absurd demon, but it's also really compelling. Like having this demon that will burn out your humanity and combust, immolate you. Right. Like that's like a cool demon idea. So good job. Yeah, very good. But you're right. Like it's just like when Giles couldn't get rid of the master's bones, he cut his body parts up into smaller pieces. And even more boxes or chuck one of the boxes into a volcano, like do a bunch of stuff with them, you know, (laughs) the world is your oyster. So Buffy says that she thinks she knows where Spike and Drusilla are based on her dream. Her and Angel are going to go to the factory and do recon and see how far they've gotten in reassembling the judge. Too late, Buffy. And the rest of them are going to check where the boxes could be coming into town. Giles is like, oh, that's a good plan. And they leave. I disagree, Giles. I think this is a terrible plan, not just because we as the audience already know that the judge has been assembled, but because when you see what Buffy and Angel think is recon, it's just terrible. It's just a horrible thing. So the next scene, they're at the factory and Buffy and Angel just wander in and are walking willy nilly along the balcony, plain sight, not even wearing, like bothering to like disguise or hide. They're just like, do to do and looking over the balcony and i was like you guys this sucks like obviously you're gonna get caught 
And they're looking down and they see Spike and Drusilla and the big blue judge. And the judge smells them, probably because they reek of humanity. And the vamps surround them and bring them down. Takes like two seconds for them to get caught. And uh, Spike calls them crashers. And Drusilla, interestingly enough, says, I only dreamed you'd come. Mm. And isn't that so interesting? So Drusilla has been dreaming as well. Mm-hmm. And we know that Drusilla can have prophecies, and we know that Buffy can have prophecies. So there is a lot of similarities between these two. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Angel says, like, leave her alone. And Spike says, yeah, that'll work. (laughs) And I think this is so unfair (laughs) in a lot of ways because Angel is the hero and obviously has to say stupid shit like, take me instead and, you know, leave her alone. And Spike gets to be the fun villain and say stuff like, yeah, that's not how this works. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's funny, but I'm also like, damn, the villains have all the fun. It's true. During this whole display, the judge is basically going to kill Buffy and then Angel because Drew and Spike want to make sure Angel sees the Slayer die. So the judge is walking toward Buffy as Angel is struggling and he's looking around. Buffy kicks the judge back as Angel manages to break free and drop all the TVs, <laughs> all these TVs on the judge. Um, okay. Apparently this was a TV factory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we've seen the TVs before because that's what Spike was using in Halloween to watch the footage. Yes. But what were they doing here? It's very convenient that those TVs were just hanging there. Yeah, just hanging too, like not even like situated on something. Like he just dropped a chain and they crushed the judge. And they also managed to cut a hole in the concrete floor (laughs) down to the sewer. Those were some strong TVs. They don't make TVs the way they used to. No, these like concrete. seven thousand pound tvs <laughs> so so yay buffy and angel jump through the floor into the sewers hide uh, as the vants chase them they go up into the street where it's raining and they run away so that was a quick getaway you guys very lucky indeed so where do they seek refuge angel's loft Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, the scene. Buffy is drenched and shivering so because So this is the second time in the episode that they've needed to change their clothes because they got wet. <laughs> yes. The world, Sunnydale itself, wants them to get wet and change into nothing. <laughs> like so the whole universe is screaming, get naked. So Buffy is drenched and shivering and Angel goes to get her a change of clothes and he's like, put these on and get under the covers just to warm up. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I would have done it for a lot less than you saying that, Angel. (laughs) But good line. (laughs) Buffy sits on the bed and starts changing while Angel is like turned his back on her um, to give her privacy. Unlike Xander. (laughs) Unlike Xander who would have like found a mirror somewhere to, to watch. But, uh, this is a very subtle thing, but it's something that I believe and picked up on is that because he could have left the room while she changed. But mm-hmm. I think we're going to see this as the scene goes on. But like he wants to be near her and she wants to be near him. That's why he just mm-hmm. turned around and waited. Right. As opposed to leaving. So Buffy winces because she has a cut on her back and Angel offers to check it. And he sits behind her on the bed and touches her back and he's touching her skin. And he's like, it's already closed. Your cut is already closed, my love. And Buffy just kind of like leans back into him and he hugs her. And they're just like taking a moment because like I said, 
that was a near death experience for both of them. And Buffy says, you almost went away today. And Angel says, we both did. So it's true. Like not only were they about to say goodbye for God knows how long, but then they almost got murdered <laughs> in the same night. So it's it's been a, it's been a big day. It's been a huge day. And Buffy is crumbling. <laughs> like they're just like this. I can't take this. This is so hard. And this is actually just so moving. This is so moving and tender and beautiful. And they both, they just, they almost lost each other forever. So Buffy is crying and she says she does. She feels like she lost him. And you're right though. We can't be sure of anything. And Angel says, I, <laughs> and Buffy turns to look at him and he says, I love you. And he tries not to, but he can't stop himself. And Buffy says, I can't either. And they start to kiss and Angel does have a moment of hesitation here where he pulls back and he says, Buffy, maybe we shouldn't because the kissing is getting heavier and heavier. And Buffy says, don't just kiss me. And they kiss and they lie down. And this is actually such a beautiful scene to look at. In I mean, not just because, you know, they're making out, but because like the lighting and you can see the rain effect from the windows and... It's just very intimate and very heartbreaking. And I feel it. I feel why these two very lonely souls would find solace in each other right now. Because, yeah, he was about to go away, but then they almost died. So this mm. is totally believable. Them leaning into this right now is completely realistic. If you're always on death's door. <laughs> Come on. Like, this is just so, this is such a nice lead up to them having sex and them taking it to the next level in this way. Although we don't actually get to see the sex. It's a very PG thing. Like earlier, they weren't talking about it. It's just fade to black. And yeah. then next scene, they're in bed together. They are lying naked in bed together. So we can assume that, yes, they had sex. We didn't see it because I think, you know, they're just really in love. And it was a pretty romantic first time, I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> and um, we see a lightning strike and Angel sits straight up with a gasp. He starts panting. He's He gets up naked. But then the next scene, he's running out into the alleyway fully clothed. <laughs> and um, while he's running out, he starts screaming. And he's like, Ack! Ack! Buffy! Ack! <laughs> Buffy! And then we cut to Buffy, who doesn't hear him screaming. She's still sleeping soundly in post-coitus bliss. Yeah, cut to Angel screaming into the night. And to be continued it's the that's the silliest part of the episode yeah i think they could have did it a little bit less dramatically but you we don't know what's happening we don't know what this that's is that's true yeah we don't like we know listeners who <laughs> watched know. the show before know but this is the thing is i didn't remember going into the episode where it cuts off and mm -hmm. this isn't explicitly a two-parter well, I guess, you know, it has to be continued on the end, but it's like, it's not surprise part one, surprise part two. It's surprise followed by innocence, but they might as well be two-parter, right? Yeah. Like, it's got a to be continued. It's got a cliffhanger. I didn't remember that this was the cutoff point. And yeah, like at this point, it is very unclear what is going on with Angel. Something dangerous, something bad, you know, it's got to be. But we're left with so many questions here. Yeah, and I think it's brilliant. I think this episode was brilliant. I think it paced really well. It had amazing scenes. It was funny. It mm -hmm. had action. It was romantic. Mm -hmm. Like, we were on the edge of our seats at some points. I cried. I cried twice and when I watched it. 
great moments, not just for Buffy and Angel, but mm-hmm. for the other characters, right? We got Willow uh, moving ahead with Oz. Oz was brought into the gang. We had a little bit of movement with uh, Cordy and Xander. I think the only thing we were really missing was a scene between Jenny and Giles. So I hope we get more of that in the next couple of episodes, right? Is seeing Because eventually they're going to find out about Jenny, right? Like that's got to happen at some point. So how is that going to affect their relationship? Um, yeah. And yeah, like th- this, I think what makes this episode so incredibly special because as you said at the beginning this is probably the best episode so far in the series oh for sure uh, for sure even including prophecy girl no doubt like, in my mind yeah no. yeah what makes it so special is the fact that it delivers so much in the episode like we were just saying but it's also setting us up for not just the rest of the season, but potentially, you know, things that are going to reverberate through the whole series. This is, this isn't, you can't walk away from this episode. Like everything is changing here. It's so good. Yeah, I would almost, I would oh. say quite confidently um, that this is the episode where the show has truly hit its stride. Yeah. And the rest of this season from here on out is going to be different and it's mm-hmm. going to be so good. Oh, so yeah, I, I can't wait for next week to talk about Innocence with you because I, I have even mm-hmm. more thoughts that I can't share yet because we don't know what's happening. But um, so for now, who's your hero? I put my hero as Giles this episode because I really loved his attitude. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he came through with the research as he always does. But I think for the most part, he was just a very supportive helpful person and yeah just like he brought in those those birthday vibes he cut buffy slack when she needed it to be cut obviously like with all the shit that she had to deal with on her birthday he made the right call that's heroic great you um i'm gonna go with angel i think it's pretty obvious right like he does a ton of stuff in this episode saves buffy breaks some tvs like he's great uh both emotionally and in terms of his heroism And then I want to give an honorable mention, like a shout out to Cordy, because she was the chips and dip girl and (laughs) looks like she prepared a pretty good spread for that party. So good job, Cordy. Yeah, I also think she was probably the only one who had cake. So, you know, that's... Yeah, you get that cake, Good for her. (laughs) Yeah, we have one hot steak today. Yes, we do. This one is from Sunny, who emailed us to talk about surprise and... Basically, what she said was very much along the lines of what we talked about when it comes to Drusilla and Buffy. So she says, this is not my theory, but someone speculated that Drusilla and Buffy have the same birthday since Drusilla is very eager to throw a party around the same time as Buffy's birthday. There was also a comment on one of Passion of the Nerds videos that Drusilla is another shadow self for Buffy. Like what could have happened if Buffy turned into a vampire? And she says there's definitely some evidence that can support this theory, but that's going into spoilery territory. So this definitely goes along the lines of what uh, you and I were talking about, how there are a lot of parallels between Drusilla and Buffy here. I like this concept that if Buffy were to turn into a vampire after a couple more episodes of what's to come in season two, we we are entrenching on spoiler territory here, but... I do see it. I understand okay. where she's coming from. I I well, I want to build on that theory. I have a theory. Okay. Because I, I agree. Like, Drusilla, in many ways, is being juxtaposed with Buffy. You know, and Drusilla is bad because Angel tortured her. Um, she also has the power of prophecy, 
which is interesting. So here's mm-hmm. my theory. What if Drusilla were a potential slayer? And so when Angel turned her into a vampire, that unlocked like her her latent prophecy powers as a potential slayer, right? Like ah. so her the fact that she's dreaming and is connected to Buffy in this way might be because in a way she could have become the slayer at one point, but that's not what happened to her, right? Mm-hmm. So that's Ooh. where she's getting her prophecy power from. Damn, I like that. Bringing in your own hot steak. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I think that's something that we could definitely track too as we learn more about Drusilla. This is what's hard about Surprise because like you said, there's a whole other episode, Innocence, that's just as important because this almost sets everything mm-hmm. up. That's why it feels like a two-parter because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we got the, the first bit. Now where's the fallout? So maybe we should reassess the Buffy and Drusilla parallels next episode. Oh, yeah. But thanks for pointing it out, Sunny, because we totally agree. Like, it's very, very much the case. The writers are clearly trying to compare Buffy and Drusilla as paramours of Angel. Um, And the same thing's going on with Drusilla and Spike, right? Like, I think Angel was the one who made Drusilla. And Spike's relationship with her in some ways is a fuck you to Angel. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to have Drusilla and you can't. Um, and that's such an interesting, it tells us some something interesting about Spike, too. Ooh, there's so much to come. Oh, my God. So that was like, that has been, this was my favorite episode to talk about so far. And like, I'm saying a lot because I love <laughs> talking about every episode. But like, I've never thought too much about this episode before in my past watches. And I don't know why I talk so highly about Halloween when they have we have this episode sitting right here. I can't wait to reassess at the end of season two. Well, I agree. I really enjoyed talking about this with you as well. We'll see you guys next week for Innocence. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.